I love Jared Allen. Fear the frog. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. <laughs> Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome into the Fear the Fro podcast. We have finally arrived. A training camp edition. Media day was today. We're going to be discussing all of that. On the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm not even sure what episode. I'm abandoning the idea of telling you what number I'm on. NBA regular season day, October 19th. Just around the corner, really. And today, we got our first chance for some of our friends in the media to put their questions directly to our Cavaliers, front office, coaches, and players. We heard from all of them. Jared Allen, Kevin Love, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Ricky Rubio, Kobe Altman, J.B. Bickerstaff, comments made by all, Evan Mobley, and I thought some interesting things came out of Media Day. Some interesting things came out of Media Day across the league as well. And since this is a Cavalier podcast, first and foremost, we'll touch on the Cavs now and the things that I took out of Media Day, and we'll also discuss the things happening around the league, including Ben Simmons, no showing in Philadelphia, and all the comments that were then asked of his teammates and former, well, I say former, but current coach, Doc Rivers, current GM, Daryl Morey, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris. Over in Denver, the first extension we've seen in recent news from the rookie class of Colin Sexton, Michael Porter Jr., today extending for five years, $207 million, a max extension for him. Maybe Colin Sexton will be soon to follow. They certainly asked him today, if the extension looming over him was going to impact his play, et cetera, et cetera, he gave all the right answers. I'm mainly just going to pull out the comments that were made that stood out to me. You did get a lot of the PC, you know, we're going to try hard, we're going to do the right things, we're going to put in the work, everybody gets held accountable. That was a recurring theme today, and being sick of losing. That was another thing you heard a lot of. There were a few things specifically I wanted to bring out to discuss, though, which we've been discussing all offseason. The first trend, if you want to call it that, from Media Day was that Darius Garland has the weight of the world on his shoulders. There are huge expectations for him. Of course, his second year, a massive improvement over the first season, 17 points, six rebounds last year, and he looked excellent at times, specifically when Kevin Love was healthy and bringing Jared Allen into the fold. There are big expectations on him. And just a moment ago, I alluded to Michael Porter Jr. He is the Vegas favorite to win most improved player. But Darius Garland is way up there amongst a handful of guys who everybody expects big things from. So coming into this season, a lot of the focus of the media, even asking the questions, was on things like what kind of involvement People have seen in Darius Garland, they put those questions to love because he spent all that time in the Team USA system alongside him. They put those questions to Sexton and, of course, to Garland himself, who said that he didn't feel any external pressure. He's just playing his game. Also, that was said similarly by Sexton. But let's get right down to some of the more interesting comments from Media Day. The first thing I wanted to touch on was a comment by J.B. Bickerstaff. Now, there were a lot of questions about how he intends to utilize Evan Mobley. And this is one of the things that he said. 
You have size and skill. I think that beats the small ball. You know, you look at the way the Lakers were constructed when they won the title two years ago. They were playing big, big guys, but their big guys have skill. Evan, Jared, uh, Lowry, you know, you go on and on and on with that size and skill, and it's not a position, right? You're, we play in proper spacing, but a lot of our spots are interchangeable, and Evan has the skill to be in all five of those spots. If he's truly looking to emulate that Lakers title team, then he must envision Mobley in that type of Anthony Davis role, where he has the ball in his hands a lot and he's able to stretch the floor out, give some spacing. He mentioned the idea of Evan Mobley not playing specifically as a four or a five. The question was about how he expected to utilize Evan Mobley. And when going on that little diatribe about how the Lakers, he wants to have big guys who are talented guys, and he thinks that beats small ball, he alluded to the idea of playing Evan Mobley at possibly one of the other wing positions. There is questions that came out of this media day in regards to how Kevin Love will adapt to a bench role and how he plans to utilize the bigs, be it Markkanen, Allen, Mobley, Kevin Love. Maybe he's open to the idea of playing Mobley some at the three in order to open up some rotational minutes for whether it be Markkanen or Love so that he can roll out a very large front line where you're seeing three of those four big men at any one time, potentially. Evan Mobley even made a comment that suggested something similar. I feel like overall, uh, I bring versatility. Um, I feel like that's one of my strong suits, so I can be a center or a power forward. Um, I can play on the wing a little bit, so playing inside, outside, so just all around the floor. Now, time will tell if that's just more of the experimentation mindset that we saw some of last year when Larry would get slid down to the three, or if that's something they actually intend to do. Some of the questions to Bickerstaff were in regards to what he wanted to change in order to get better results on the court. And one thing that he came back to multiple times was his desire to play faster and to get more three-point shots up and to initiate the offense sooner. You know, last year I felt like we played too slow uh, and we didn't create enough threes. Uh, you know, it's simple things that we can do more quickly that get us into our offense, right? It's quicker outlets. It's a quicker first pass up the floor. It's quicker to our actions and those types of things. And then it's really, really attacking the paint. Uh, you attack the paint, you're trying to get to the rim for layups. You force defenses to help, and now the threes become open threes. All those things scream Evan Mobley to me. I mean, we saw in Summer League, Mobley is not only capable of throwing the ball ahead, and he had great court awareness in terms of passing and getting the ball out quick, but he could also initiate the break and bring the ball up over half court when it was necessary. And Kevin Love, of course, great outlet passer. So I think it's premature to write him off. I mean, he had a big part today in media day in terms of he didn't shy away from the idea that he still has a desire to be out there and still has stuff to prove. And he didn't concede that he wouldn't be getting minutes. He kind of danced around the questions when people put them to him. But the one question he very adamantly pushed back on was the suggestion that he's asked for a buyout. The buyout had never even come up. I think that's speculation. And, you, you know, sometimes shit is thrown against a wall and people are seeing who's going to read it and who's going to see it. So for me, that was, it's never been a thing. I'm still sitting here year 14, you know, as a Cav. And as, you know, listen, it's a young team. That's, you know, obviously where this is headed and where this is going. But what I'm going to try to be is, is, and like I've told Kobe and JB, a positive force. So 
So we'll know as the season goes on how big of a part Kevin Love is going to play, but my suspicions are that the Cavs intend to carve out minutes for all four of those bigs. For those of us who were thinking, well, it was going to be Markinen, Mobley, and Jared Allen, and Kevin Love basically pushed aside until a buyout could be settled, certainly doesn't seem to be anything that's on the short-term horizon. I think we're going to see them carve out roles for all four of those guys until it becomes problematic. Love gets so fed up with what's a four-way timeshare that he then does possibly revisit a buyout or whatever that situation may be. But Mobley at the small forward position or at least playing on the wing in a three-big lineup may not be as unlikely as some have thought it would be. And Okoro, I mean, part of that could be due to the fact that Okoro just simply doesn't have a lot of depth behind him. We don't know what we're going to get out of Windler or Osman this season or Valentine. Valentine, I didn't hear much in the way of comments from him today, but he managed to be walking behind every interview that was taking place on the Cavs' YouTube channel. He was just strolling back and forth, nonchalant as could be. I kind of felt bad for the guy. I'm like, doesn't anybody want to talk to this dude? Why isn't he getting interviewed? So to the Colin Sexton situation, with his extension looming, I expected him to be questioned about it. He pretty much avoided the subject. Even Altman kind of avoided the subject. He reinforced that he wanted him there. But we did get one question, and one very leading kind of question on top of a question question about Ben Simmons. Are you interested in him? But then he doubled down with the, and do you think he'll ruin our team like he's ruining Philadelphia? Almost as if he's already here. Um, Can you talk about... uh your interest in Ben Simmons, and are you, are you concerned if you do work a trade that he'll be um, kind of a headache for you like he is right now for the Sixers? I'm not going to get into any, any rumors um, or hypotheticals regarding any other player in the NBA. All I can tell you is I'm extremely excited about what we have in-house right now. I like how Kobe's laughing already at the beginning of that. I'm not going to get into any any rumors. I guess there's some media people who feel like they have to ask that question, but honestly, what odds did he think that Kobe Altman would answer that? One, it would get him a fine. I mean, Joe Lagob got fined in Golden State. He didn't even say him by name. That guy put the question to him directly by his name, and then he did it in this weird two-part question where it's like, well, are you interested? And also, are you worried with your interest? Like, what if he was interested? How long would that courting go if he said, oh, we are extremely interested in Ben Simmons, and yes, I'm also extremely concerned that he's being a complete bucket of shit. Ben Simmons might be the most sensitive to criticism player in the entire league. The worst way to get that relationship started would be on the same day you expressed your public interest in trading for him, you also co-signed this guy's statement that he's just wreaking havoc in Philadelphia. Because what if he did honestly answer both of those questions? So that was the end of the Ben Simmons questions. It was a lot of feel-good things. Jared Allen, namesake of this podcast, or at least, you know, nicknamesake. I don't know what the correct term for that is. But Jared Allen said he put on some weight, didn't reveal the weight in the question. That stuff was coming out later. So it's only a matter of time till we find out how much all of our guys have grown, how much weight Mobley's put on since the draft, how much weight... Jared Allen has put on so he can do some banging. So I, I made strides in the weight room, working with the strength and conditioning coach, the nutritionist, uh, and just trying to become the best I can be down there. Some weight on? 
I did. I did. <laughs> Are you allowed to say how much? <laughs> I am, but I'm going to keep it for the numbers when my official weight comes out. <laughs> Here's my bold prediction. I'm not much of one for predictions, but I'm going to make some in the coming weeks as we approach the regular season. I'm expecting big things from Jared Allen, mainly because if we look at the personnel we've put around him, who is there to take away opportunity from our man? Yes, we are deep in the front court, but we got floor spacing from Markkanen. We got Mobley, who seems to be more comfortable playing on the high block or out near the wing. And we got Kevin Love, who, while a great rebounder, we don't know what his minute situation is. So Allen should feast with rebounds. And he did talk about the main thing that he focused on this offseason was his decision-making after he touches the ball, whether that be getting to the rim or making better decisions in terms of how to attack when he has the advantage versus kicking it out for threes. It sounds like a big part of his personal focus has been on how to be a more integral part of the offense and not just a screen setter because pick and rolls is going to be a huge part of this offense. But here's my sort of bold, well, not really bold. Here's my vanilla prediction. Here's my vanilla lock. I need to get my sounder. I need to get my sounder. I'm stalling for two seconds while I load this up. Here it is. Jared Allen. I'm saying that he goes 15, 13, and 2 this season, which may not sound like a big leap, but three rebounds per game, that's a lot when he was playing 30 minutes a game last year. And two points per game, that's a lot when you're the fourth or fifth option in the offense. And two blocks, that's very aggressive. This was a man who averaged like 1.4. I'm saying a whole another half block a game, which over the course of a season, I think that amounts to something like 40 blocks. Yeah, that's a lot more blocks. So there you go. There's my lock. Lock it in. It's a fear the fro. Podcast lock. Okay. Ben Simmons came up at Cleveland Media Day. He, of course, would come up at Philadelphia Media Day, where he no-showed. Decided to follow through on his previous threats of not coming to camp, which then put all the onus on his former teammates and front office to answer all the questions from the media. So we got questions to Joel Embiid. We got questions to Doc Rivers. We even got comments out of Daryl Morey. And that one was the one I found the most enlightening. Let's start with Joel Embiid, though. He was asked about what message he would have for Ben if he was given the right to talk to him. Because as we know, Ben has froze out his teammates. He refused to allow them to fly out to see him, said he would not talk to his teammates. Great guy for the locker room guy that I definitely want to bring into Cleveland, that type of attitude, won't even talk to his teammates. It's one thing to have your spat with the 76ers, but you won't even talk to the guys who you played with every night. How betrayed must you feel? I understand being upset at Joel Embiid for saying that, you know, everybody needs to get better or for saying that when the game swung, uh, it was when he passed out of an open dunk. But those are honest criticisms. You might not like that he does it on social media, and I don't always like it. Joel Embiid, funny guy, but also kind of a Twitter troll and also says a lot of stuff openly that, yeah, he could keep private, but you know who he is. And everybody celebrates the guy for his candor and his honesty on social media. But when even the slightest little rebuke of a decision Ben made on the court about passing up a dunk comes up in the form of Twitter commentary, it just devastated Ben to the point where he's willing to freeze out everyone. I don't know what Tobias Harris did. But he won't even talk to him either, seemingly. So this is getting uglier and uglier by the day. But Joel Embiid had this to say. 
If you had gotten the chance to sit with Ben and talk to him, what would you have said to him? I would probably say uh, I'm disappointed uh, because, you know, I look, obviously we haven't won anything, um, but, you know, just with going by, you know, what has been said, you know, through the media and, you know, uh, you know, you guys tweeting based on your sources and stuff, uh, I, I would look at it in a way that, uh, I mean, look at what we've been able to do. Uh, you know, obviously we haven't done anything in the regular season that I got to be better. Everybody's got to be better. Um, but, you know, in the regular season, like, you know, we've been so good and so dominant that we know it's working. So he would tell him he's disappointed, but not necessarily in his behavior. I think the way Embiid framed that, he's just disappointed in the fact that they'll never get to see if they can overcome the obstacles that have presented themselves, their failings in the postseason, because Ben Simmons is punching out by all accounts. Now, Doc Rivers, a little bit more animated when people were questioning him about his comments. He was asked, of course, we've been over this. He was asked following their postseason loss, do you think Ben Simmons can be the point guard of a championship team? To which he responded, I don't know. Now, he's gone on a PR campaign over the last week kind of just defending what his intentions were and that he has. And to his credit, he did support Ben Simmons publicly again and again last year, all the time, saying how he thinks he's a great player and he can. And then the one time that he was questioned where he didn't give a definitive, supportive statement of Ben Simmons, it's immediately become weaponized as a way to justify trying to force your way out one year into a five-year extension. In either situation, I'm more with Doc on this particular point because all he said was, I don't know. He could mean that in any context. He could mean it in the context of he doesn't know if Ben Simmons is the guy who can lead a championship team. He could mean it in the context of, I don't know if the team is a championship team. So it may not even matter who's the point guard because we have other holes we need to address. It really doesn't matter. The fact is, Ben Simmons struggled. Some people, like Joel Embiid, have got absolutely ripped to shreds by the Philadelphia media and fans, and they bounce back. Just listen to this clip about Joel Embiid from Sports Radio in Philadelphia on WIP. I hate this bum. Like, trade him today. And the fact that we have people calling in and, and, and defending him just shows how soft of a fan base we've become. Are you freaking kidding me? He's worthless. He's fat. He can't take care of himself. I don't care for him anymore. I don't want him on my team. I'd rather restart the process than root for this loser. Fans are brutal. Fans everywhere are brutal, but Philadelphia fans are no less brutal. In fact, most people would say they're more brutal, but I'm not even going after the Philadelphia fan base. The fact is, if you fail on a big stage and there's large expectations, you're going to get ripped. Now, Danny Green pointed it out as something that's unacceptable and needs to be addressed and you need to support us. It's not like where Green has played, like Los Angeles, Toronto. Those are diehard fan bases. The Lakers will make excuses for anything. Taylor Horton Tucker might as well be Michael Jordan. San Antonio, very loyal to the Spurs. But you go into these East Coast cities where there's big expectations. They've been starved for championships for a while. It's what it's going to be like. And I don't think it's realistic to think you can change the fans. You just need to either learn to adapt or leave when your contract's up. But this approach... It's kind of a disaster because Simmons is only one year 
into the contract, and somebody put the question to Daryl Morey, well, what are you going to do if Ben Simmons continues to refuse to report? And he had this to say. If Ben does not show up, what kind of ramifications, fines, or anything are you guys going to impose, willing to impose, thought about imposing? Yeah, I'd say we're not going to talk about specifics of fines or things like that, but I I will say that, uh, you know, it's pretty very clearly spelled out in the CBA and his contract what happens. So that's the nice way of saying he's definitely going to get fined. I mean, the money in all of this is irrelevant to me. Everybody's rich on both sides of this. Now, there are a lot of people who take issue with the collective bargaining agreement because if you're a rookie, you get drafted into a situation where you're on a team who controls your rights effectively for at least five years, but really more like seven because you can play on the qualifying offer for the fifth year, but it's really not as much money as you would hope. Like this past week, there were a lot of stories about Zion Williamson and how, and a lot of those got squashed at media day, by the way. I just did a podcast on this last week talking about how would he take the qualifying offer in order to get his true unimpeded freedom on the unrestricted free agent market. But the reality is in order to do that, he would have to sacrifice one year of being paid you know, a rookie max extension money, which is 30 million or more for Zion to play on the qualifying offer, he'd be playing for around $17 million a year. So what ends up happening in the NBA is if you're Ben Simmons, the moment that he took that rookie max extension, because it was the most money he could get, he effectively locked himself into the Sixers for the full nine year window, the four rookie years. And then the five years after that, that's a long time to spend with one team. And you don't truly get to walk away because restricted free agency oftentimes suppresses your market. We saw it with Lowry Markinen, where pretty much all the money was dried up. And then we worked this trade to be able to pay him more money than he probably could have found had he gone out and tried to get an offer sheet. Some people side with Simmons because they don't like the fact that the collective bargaining agreement is structured in a way which gives teams who draft guys the advantage in retaining them. The idea that somehow the players are getting wronged here, I don't agree with that. One, without these type of mechanisms to give advantages to smaller markets or teams who drafted the players, we would just see the league further stratified into the haves or have-nots. All the talent would congregate in the most desirable places to play, like New York and LA and Miami and you know San Francisco, and all the teams in the bad weather cities or the smaller markets they would have a hard time retaining anyone. So a compromise was struck between owners and players where they could get their freedom, but they would have to play on a qualifying offer if they were unwilling to deal with the imposition of restricted free agency, essentially. Now, nobody's been willing to do that. None among the top talent, anyway. There's a few people who have threatened it, who have said, okay, I'm going to play on the qualifying offer. But really, it doesn't happen because you have to leave a significant amount of money on the table. But that is the price of getting to unrestricted free agency sooner. Now, we can have the discussion if maybe the amount of a discount they have to take is too severe. And that I'm fine with that. I'm open to the idea that maybe the qualifying offer should be closer to what they could actually draw on the unrestricted market. But that's something that can be revisited in the collective bargaining agreement. Right now, They have an out. They choose not to exercise it because they don't want to sacrifice any amount of money for freedom. They want the freedom 
without the sacrifice that goes into it. When this isn't like football, they have guaranteed contracts. I mean, you only have to look so far as Kevin Love to say that it doesn't matter if they hold up their end of the bargain, they still get all their money, and that's a good thing for the players. This is one of the few things in there that was put in there to keep small market teams from just existing in a pointless cycle of losing all your talent, and now it's being pointed at as something that's victimizing players. Well, without it, I mean, any Cavs fan who is making that argument needs to step back and consider that if they're here because of their desire to have Ben Simmons on their team, and they're sitting here arguing that he shouldn't have to play for that team, he should have been able to get that money anywhere, that's not a path you want to go down, because that's going to burn you more times than not. Do you think LeBron would have stayed the full window? Maybe he would have. He might have exercised his option to get out of there sooner if what he had to sacrifice was less severe. So I get that there's some people who want to just change the whole paradigm and make everything about player empowerment. But that's probably not going to happen because the owners are exceptionally powerful, and I don't think it should happen. Then you can say that I'm you know, carrying water for billionaires, but nobody is poor here. Nobody's getting screwed here, even Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is not getting screwed here. So when they start laying down these fines, I think it's good for all parties involved. I think it's good for the owners and players in this scenario because it's going to force a resolution sooner. It will put pressure on Ben Simmons to come to some sort of either compromise sooner or eventually the 76ers are just going to say, we've got this 35 to $40 million albatross on our cap sheet that whether they're not paying him the salary, that's kind of irrelevant. Having that $40 million on the salary cap, even if they're finding their way back to getting all the money, it still prevents them from being able to use that money to bring in other talent to play alongside their actual participating stars. Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, all those guys. And it becomes a far bigger problem if the inability to compete then drives a wedge between the Sixers and Joel Embiid or Harris or the guys who are invested and who are trying to win. I think today, even though it's unheard of, we haven't seen a guy at Simmons level just refuse to show up for media day and try to force this type of maneuver. Ultimately, I think it's good because that means it's going to be on the table when the next time the collective bargaining agreement is reworked. People will be aware that, okay, we've reached a point in basketball history where people will go to these lengths. So I'll be curious to see how changes are made to prevent this type of thing in the future, because nobody wins in this scenario. Simmons doesn't get his money. The Sixers don't get the money back to spend on other people. And the fans, they're the ones who get screwed most of all, because they don't get to watch the best product possible put out on the floor. Everybody is losing right now. There's not a single winner except the media and people like me who get to talk about this salacious story where everyone's at odds and they're sniping through media members to get their messages to one another. Now, on the other East Coast city, Media Day, Brooklyn, that got a lot of attention, the big story was, will Kyrie Irving effectively be forced to get vaccinated in order to play in home games for the Brooklyn Nets? Because as of now, he is out. Kyrie Irving, being unvaccinated, will not be allowed to participate in home games in his own market. When questioned about this, because it does have a massive impact on his teammates, as you'll see by one of the other clips I've pulled here of Kevin Durant having to answer questions about Kyrie Irving. Well, Kyrie Irving doesn't feel that discussing his stance on 
vaccines is relevant right now. It's a personal matter, and he shouldn't be questioned on it. And here is his comment to that effect. In the spirit of, of not putting limitations on the future, do you expect to play in home games in New York considering the, the rules in the state? Again, I would like to keep all that private. Please just disrespect my privacy. Like uh, all the questions kind of leading into what's happening, you know, just please, uh, everything will be released at a, at a due date. And uh, once we get this cleared up, but as of right now, just please respect my privacy regarding anything around home games, what's happening, vaccination. Please, if you have another question, Malik, I love to answer. As is usually the case with Kyrie, what, be it his media blackout last year where he said he didn't want to talk to the media, he, of course, recanted because that comes with massive fines. And that's also negotiated for in the collective bargaining agreement. And as the vice president of the Players Union, he didn't want to talk about it here. And that means the questions just go to Kevin Durant, who then has to try to offer an explanation for the motivations of someone who is unwilling to offer any explanation of their own to the motivations. Are you concerned about his availability at home games going forward? No. So you expect that not to be an issue? I expect it not to be. I don't mean, I'm, that's, that's on Kyrie and that's his personal decision. What he does is not on us to speculate what, what may happen, but we trust in Kyrie and I expect us to have our whole team at some point. I don't know what Kyrie's end game is ultimately, but this is far bigger than a basketball issue in the sense that now you have state mandates and laws coming into play. And while you may think as the vice president of the Players Association that Kyrie can lead some sort of cooperative that can push back, league rules are going to be heavily influenced by the state and federal laws. There's not going to be any give when it comes to Canada. So it's not just that Kyrie won't be allowed to play in New York. He certainly won't be allowed to play in San Francisco, where Wiggins is running into the same issue, and he won't be able to play any of the games in Toronto, which, of course, won't be many. But you never know how it works out. What if they face off in the playoffs? Right now, it's advantageous for the Nets to end up with the eight seed. It would give them one extra road game. Now, of course, I expect this situation to be resolved by the time the playoffs roll around. But being a road team is an advantage at this point for the Nets. And this is a team with legitimate title aspirations. So I know I've said plenty of things which have made my stance that I don't want Simmons pretty clear. But it's because I see these parallels between guys like Kyrie and Ben. And not in that Ben doesn't make public comments. He's doing this all behind the scenes. That's not the parallel. The parallel is that there are plenty of players whose only consideration is their self-interest. And that's understandable. I care about myself too. But as it relates to Cleveland, what effectively slammed the Cavs' title window shut was not LeBron leaving. It was Kyrie Irving and his own personal agenda. He wanted out, and so he leveraged his way out in a trade. And now we're sitting here talking about Ben Simmons coming into the Cavs because we all recognize he has talent, but it's his self-interest that is driving this whole agenda with the Sixers. Why do we want to bring people like that in, regardless of their talent? We have a known commodity and somebody who seemingly does everything right in Sexton, and we want to gamble that away on a guy who's operating exactly like all the things we detested about Kyrie when he forced his way out for a situation that was more conducive to his personal goals. You can't bring in these guys who literally care about nobody on the team but themselves or their agenda. And I get that Kyrie Irving does stuff in the community and he cares about societal issues and things of that nature, 
but his actions again and again put his teammates in the position where they have to answer for his defiance of wanting to work with the media or whatever it is. He just doesn't like anything imposed upon him. He's simply a contrarian in all walks of life. You could tell him like, oh, so you went to Brooklyn to be closer to home. No, that's not what I decided. The, he just resists. He's, that's just his personality. That's on Kyrie and that's his personal decision. Durant just looks annoyed. It's one thing for Kyrie to have these very strong opinions and stances on stuff. Do whatever you're going to do. You're right. It is your personal choice. But you need to be the one to take charge of it. Because it's just got to be so taxing to have to answer for this guy again and again. And then have the playoffs roll around and he wasn't even playing. I mean, you make these sacrifices for the ability to win a title. Having to deal with all of Kyrie's birthday stuff last year and the hiatus and the not wanting to talk to the media. And then when the playoffs roll around, he wasn't even on the court. It's just got to wear you down if you're Durant. And seemingly the only thing you care about is basketball. You want your focus to be on basketball. Now, Beal had similar sentiments. I, I'll play the clip. I'm not even, there's no commentary for this. It's just another guy having to answer questions about vaccinations, but it's, it's getting a lot of run. So here it is. It's Bradley Beal talking about why he's not vaccinated. Do you understand, I guess, the whole, the whole thing, the whole picture? Yeah. I have family. My mom and dad are vaccinated. My older brothers are vaccinated. My sister-in-law is vaccinated. I, have, I know people that I have people that are very close to me that are vaccinated, just as well as I have people that are close to me and related to me that are not. So it's a, it's a fine line. It's a personal choice between everybody. A hundred percent. Like I understand both sides of it. Like I understand that there is a percentage of people who can get very sick. I didn't get sick. I didn't get sick at all. I lost my smell, but that that was it for me. Everybody's going to react different. Everybody's going to take it differently. I mean, some people have bad reactions to the vaccine. Nobody likes to talk about that. Um, and what happens if one of our players gets the vaccine and they can't play after that or they have complications after that because there are cases like that. But I feel like we don't talk about those as heavily because they're so minute, maybe. But I mean, they are existent. So it's like I said before, we can we can talk all day about it. Everybody's going to have their own opinion. Everybody's going to have their own timing and um, comfort of when they feel like they want to meet those criteria or needs or feel like they want to go through with getting the vaccine. So another superstar on the unvaccinated list to join Kyrie. We got Bradley Beal. We got Jonathan Isaac. I believe Michael Porter Jr. I, I can't verify that for sure. But And then there's a fifth. Oh, Andrew Wiggins. That's actually a pretty formidable starting line. Playing small ball. Isaac would have to play center. But after that, Michael Porter Jr., Wiggins, Kyrie, and Beal, they could do some damage to people's immune systems. One other thing I saw regarding the vaccinations from Media Day, which gave me a chuckle. Robin Lopez, Brooke Lopez's brother, always good for a laugh. He was asked about his brother winning a title with the Milwaukee Bucks, and he said the following. Now, mind you, he's on the same team as Jonathan Isaac, who does not want to take the vaccine and has been pretty vocal about it. Robin Lopez, when asked about his brother winning a title, said he's not sure if Milwaukee actually won a championship because he wasn't there. 
So he's doing his own research. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.